Welcome to the Hayes Worldwide Careers Advice Podcast, bringing you insights into the world of work. In this series, I'll be talking to experts to give you practical tips and advice on careers. I'm your host, John Beasley from Hayes, the world's largest specialist recruiter. From succeeding in your current role to finding a new job, we always face challenges and obstacles in the world of work. Frustration, anxiety, and feelings of powerlessness can leave many others struggling to perform at our best. Today, I'm joined by Doug Strikarczyk and Peter Clough, whose work in psychology led them to co-author the book, Developing Mental Toughness, Improving Performance, Wellbeing, and Positive Behavior in Others. Now in its third edition, the book explores how mental toughness relates to employability, performance, and motivation, amongst other things. Doug and Peter will be discussing psychology in the workplace and the importance of developing one's own mental toughness during your career. Peter, Doug, thank you for joining us today. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Um, So before we begin, can each of you please introduce yourself quickly to our listeners? Okay, I'll start. I'm Doug Strahacik. I'm the CEO for AQR International. And the core of our work today is to take this concept of mental toughness and take it around the world. And as a measure of its impact, we are now working in 81. And if we did this next week, it will be 82 countries around the world. So that gives you a measure of the growth of the concept around the world. But within the context of this podcast, I'm privileged and proud to be associated with Peter. I've worked with Peter for about 30 years and another colleague, uh, Dr. John Perry. And I think we can lay claim to be thought leaders globally for this concept. I'm practitioner more than an academic, but a lot of their academic credentials and approaches have rubbed off on me. I'm Professor Peter Clough. Um, I developed the, the Four Seas model of mental toughness in the early 2000s. I'm a long-term academic. I'm a research academic. But before that, I was also a played professional sport and was a drummer in a seminal punk band. So a varied career, and it all ties in because I've always been interested and in working with Doug and John in, in, in performance, well-being, and toughness. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And uh, as, as I mentioned in the intro, um, you know, we're here to talk about mental toughness today. So could you tell us what the term mental toughness means? OK, well, I'll, I'll perhaps kick off. I mean, first of all, I'll, I'll just tackle the, the elephant in the room. The word toughness, it seems to upset some people. And that varies around the world. In some parts of the world, they just take the concept in their stride. When we talk about mental toughness, We're talking about a personality trait. I'll come back to that in a minute, which explains to a large extent how we approach things mentally when faced with challenge, opportunity, setback, threats and problems. And those those words that I've just used pretty much typify most of our experiences of life. It's a blend of things that go wrong and opportunity and challenges. So it's embraces two ideas. One is resilience and the other one is positivity. So the idea of resilience is I can deal with things that go wrong. Positivity is I can see the the sunshine in the clouds and I know that uh, tomorrow will be a better day. So these two ideas which come together 
create this notion of mental toughness. So when we're talking about mental toughness, we're not talking about it in this in the sense of being macho or aggressive. We're talking about it in terms of being able to deal with life and thrive in life. So if I just come back to this term personality, and Peter's going to ex explore that a little bit more in a moment. When we talk about personality, most people, especially in the world of careers and employability, are familiar with completing personality measures. Most of the time, those personality ideas and personality measures are what we would call behavioural measures. In other words, they're assessing how we act when things happen to us and around us. And for a prospective employer, that's an important uh, thing to understand. I don't know the individual, and here is the ability to kind of predict their behaviour. What we're looking at here is how we think when things happen to us and around us. And we know that thinking is very often a precursor to our behaviour. So it's a more fundamental aspect of personality in many ways. And it reflects what employers will often describe as attitude. Very often when you talk to employers and say, what is the secret ingredient that makes a great employee? The answer you get is attitude. And what we're talking about here is mental attitude. So if, if I build on what Doug's saying, so we, we talk about mental toughness. The, the model we've developed over the years is the classically called a four C's model of mental toughness. And it is, mental toughness is a narrow personality trait and people will be familiar probably with the big five. So it's, it's a more target and specific. And the first thing really I'd like to add in to what Doug's saying is personality traits are not what we thought they were 20 years ago. There's more plasticity. So it can be developed. People have a starting point. They have a, a, a functionality, but it can change over time. And we know that, you know, the big five personality measures change over time. So the four C's model, when we're talking about the four C's model, it's the easiest thing in the world to say somebody's lacking mental toughness or is mentally tough. I come from a sports background a long time ago, and that's a question I was often asked by coaches, you know, on a one to 10 scale, how tough they are. And it's far more complex than that. The model's more complex. Individuals are more complex than that. So there's the four C's, which are all independent to some extent. So you could be high on one, low on the other, and you build up a profile. So when we're talking about that, and I'll briefly describe it and come back if we need to. So we, we've got control, commitment, challenge, and confidence. And each of those is then made up of eight factors. So it's nuanced. We go back here, you know, Doug was saying, the mental toughness name, sometimes people think it's a simpler model than it is, but it's actually very sophisticated. It gets under the skin of people. We're trying to find out what people are thinking. And one of the great problems, you know, a lot of the early research on mental toughness was getting coaches, for example, to rate the mental toughness of players. The coaches saw it very differently than the players themselves. So unless you get some understanding of what's inside somebody's head, it's hard to make a judgment on somebody's mental toughness. So we've got the general background and then the specific model. Great. Thank you both. Now, you mentioned there, you know, that it's, it's complex, you know, more complex than it may sound. And it's about managing your mental well-being and, and learning to thrive. What what are the various factors that contribute to, to a person's mental toughness? OK, perhaps I'll, I'll start with that. So 
If you look at the the four C's model that Peter's described, he said that each, there are four constructs and each of those constructs has two factors. I'm going to look at it from the perspective of an employer and somebody who's seeking to develop their career or find a job. So the first of the, the constructs is control. And that consists, that's really describing to what extent do I feel in sufficient control of me and my life to be able to achieve what I want. And Henry Ford had a very famous saying, if you think you can, you can't. Can. If you think you can't, you're probably right. So our ability to do things often isn't anything to do with our skills or knowledge or abilities. It's to do with what's going on in our heads. So the first of those elements, do I think I can do it? And some people, despite having the most wonderful set of qualities, often think they can't. So the first element is, can, you, can I do it? The second element is, when I'm under pressure, am I going to allow my emotions to rule my actions? Or do I, do I manage somehow to manage my emotional responses? And then the second element is commitment. And that's very simply, am I somebody who understands what I'm trying to achieve? Do I have a goal? Can I visualize and articulate that goal? And if I have that goal, the second factor is, can I actually make the effort? Am I prepared mentally to make the effort to deliver that goal? So those two factors are control and commitment. And those two broadly equate to the thing I was describing earlier, resilience. That helps us to survive. When things happen, these two can help us manage what's going on. However, the, the other two elements help us to thrive. They, they're the positive elements. And the first of those is challenge. And that's got two elements. One is risk orientation. And that isn't about taking huge reckless risks. This is about being prepared to push yourself, stretch yourself, push back boundaries, try new things, meet new people, learn new skills and techniques. These are things that employers value. This is all part of employability. And then even when you do that, you don't always get it right. So some people, when they don't succeed, say they start a course, it doesn't work, they give it up. If they give it up and never go back, then they've wasted a lot of their time. Some people will say, hang on, I really need to master that skill. I'm, I, this is the reason why I didn't work first time. I'm going back to, to have another go. They're learning from their experiences. And again, that's a neat, really important quality that employers value. So, you know, if you're talking about, if you're an individual hoping to develop a career, these are the things that employers are looking for. These are the things that you need somehow to be able to present to, to an employer. And then the final element is confidence. And that's got two bits. One is confidence and abilities. And the curiosity here is very often, I've seen it all my career, you have incredibly talented people who don't think they're talented. They do themselves down. It's a measure of self-belief. And then the, set, the final component is interpersonal confidence. If you've got it and you've got something that you can offer to other people, to employers, to colleagues, you need to engage with them. So that's about engaging with them and influencing them as much as they do you. So you don't find yourself squeezed out of a discussion or disregarded. So these are the eight components. And they're important for an employer. If you speak to most employers and give them that as a checklist and say, which of those would you like? They'll tick every box. If you're a, a if you're a, a person trying to find a job, that's a checklist of the things that the employer is looking for. If you're in a job and you're hoping to prosper in your career, 
that's also a checklist of the things you need to attend to if you're really going to progress in your career. That's a quick introduction to those eight factors. Fantastic. Thanks, Doug. So you, you took us through the, the, the four C's there, control, commitment, challenge, confidence. Should you use them as a, I suppose, like a, a checklist of, of sorts? You know, what are the signs that somebody needs to work on their mental toughness? Should they go through those and, you know, tick them off and identify areas where, where they need to work on it? Well, I think yeah, the, the, the starting point is yeah, how do you know if you, you need more mental toughness is, is what's going on in, in somebody's head. So the opposite end of mental toughness isn't weakness, it's sensitivity. And there's lots of sensitive folk who are, who are very happy, who are, are performing really well. Yeah, mentally tough people have a certain advantage in high-pressure situations and you know, developing a little bit more mental toughness is, is always quite useful. So when you look at those elements, it's more about understanding when it goes wrong, why it's going wrong. So that checklist is, yeah, if you take one example, say interpersonal confidence, that you're unhappy at work, it's not, it's not functioning very well. It could be that you're not talking to people, you're not receiving the help you need, you're not pushing information upwards. So it's, it's really about thinking about it, getting 360 degrees feedback about what's going on and just using it as a way of understanding your own internal states. Not, none of these models are perfect, but it gives us a shared language. So you can look at all those things. And it's, it's really important people don't beat themselves up for not being mentally tough or high on all the four Cs because, one, you don't have to be. And, two, yeah, none, none of us are perfect. And even somebody who is extremely mentally tough has drawbacks. There's advantages of being sensitive. There's um, disadvantages of being tough. So it's just understanding, not, not being judgy. And if you have a recurring pattern of something going wrong, it's trying to understand and, and explain and discuss with people what mechanisms could be taking place. That's excellent. That's really, really helpful. Thanks, Peter. And if, you know, is it possible for someone to develop their mental toughness? And, and you know, if so, how, how does someone go about it? Okay, so it's, it's a really interesting question. Actually, it covers another question. Firstly, you can develop mental toughness. And the techniques are pretty well known. They lie, they rest on things like positive thinking, visualization, anxiety control, the traditional stress management stuff. The one that is often omitted is attentional control and goal setting. Those are the common uh, tools and techniques that you can use. However, there's a more fundamental question. Do I want to cha change my mental toughness? And that has two implications. Firstly, Peter said there are people who are mentally sensitive and mentally tough. Actually, when you look at those eight factors I described before, you could be mentally tough on some of them and mentally sensitive on others. And it's, ident it's understanding yourself to the extent that you understand where, what your profile is and what does it mean for what you're trying to achieve. Not every area of mental sensitivity is going to hold you back, but one of them might. Not every area of mental toughness is helping you to propel your career forward. And you need to kind of work that out and understand that. Then the second bit is reflection. Is it important for me to do something about my mental toughness profile or my mental sensitivity profile in order for me to achieve what I want to achieve in life? If it isn't, some people do not want to change. They're quite happy the way they are. They just want to learn to cope with 
the days when it all goes wrong or uh, a problem arises, that's fine. It's the people, there are also people who say, right, in order to be more successful with what I want to achieve, I need to change in some way. Now, if they're minded to change, and that's important, you, you can't change somebody who doesn't want to change, but if they're minded to change, then those tools and techniques can work. The only downside is there's a lot of experimentation required. These techniques work, but they don't all work for, for all people. And sometimes the progress in changing can be seen painfully slow. But that's quite a long answer to a very simple question, but we've tried to cover the different aspects of, the, of your question too. I really appreciate that, Doug. It, it, and I understand it must be uh, difficult to condense all this information that you managed to write a book out of, you know, into into a short podcast and give these uh, short answers. Now, you mentioned different profiles there, you know, uh, whether mentally tough or mentally sensitive. Are there any common ways in which people, you know, with these different profiles can interact in the workplace? And if, if so, how? Right, I love the, the the first the first foundation go at that, and Doug's got a lot more experience in the actual practical cases in this area. But a, a sad psychological truth is we function better with people who are very similar to us, even if we don't know they're similar to us. So a, a mentally tough person communicates more effectively with another mentally tough person. They're, they're seeing the world the same way in that respect. And you get this this level of misunderstanding. So uh, mentally tough people can be dismissive of sensitive people who you know, find find things a struggle. Sensitive people can be scared of, of mentally tough people because they always seem really together. And the key here is we're all human beings. We all have doubts. We all have issues. We all make mistakes. But understanding your team. Not everybody has to be the same. We live in a world which is moving towards a more diverse world. And actually, a lot of our work and mental toughness is surprisingly to some about diversity. We don't want to produce an army of, of mentally tough people stomping around. What we want is a range. And we look at the overall mental toughness of a team. The, the scope for everybody, but... I think, you know, when I pass over to Doug, the bottom line is respect, respect for different styles. So some people are sensitive. Most people are in the middle by definition. Some are tough. Understanding that and respecting it because we all have different strengths and we all have different development needs. Yeah. So I'll pass to Doug. Okay, thank you, Peter. So just to give it some very immediate context, one of the things we've noticed in our work in the last 18 months is that we've had more inquiries from leaders than almost any other group. And the inquiries are nearly always, I've been able to operate successfully for many, many years, COVID comes along, and suddenly I'm not as effective as I used to be. Why not? And that's an issue of self-awareness. Now I'm going to illustrate this with just looking at one of the factors. So one of the factors is, it's called life control. It's where the sense of can do sits. So people who are mentally tough on life control are people who tend to be very high achievers. They think they're not frightened about anything. If you ask them to do something that they've never done before, their immediate response is, yeah, I'll have a go. And because they will always have a go, they tend to achieve more than the average person. And so they tend to get a reputation as the achievers. If I've got a difficult job, give it to so-and-so. And they are usually very comfortable. They like this sort of self-image on the self-perception of somebody that's can get things going. 
But if they're working with other people, sometimes, and this is what Peter was alluding to, that you can have sometimes downsides attached to being mentally tough. Sometimes their approach, when they're all gung-ho, wanting to get on with things and want to, to do it with other people, is to turn around and say, well, I can do it, why can't you? And that doesn't exactly motivate people around them. That switches them off. And that's an example of, I don't understand my own mental toughness, and I don't really understand why somebody else is not responding to me the way I, I, I would have responded. And similarly, the person who's mentally sensitive, who's got a low level of mental toughness in terms of life control, they're the sort of people who are very cautious, very hesitant about doing anything. They ask all the if and but questions and so on before they would even consider doing something that the more mentally tough person would just get on with. And they will look at the more mentally tough individual and say, why is he shouting at me? Why are they jumping up and down? Why are they wanting to get on with this before I'm ready to get on with it? I don't understand. And so you can often have this kind of gap between people who are mentally tough and mentally sensitive, and they don't realize that the, if you like, if you want to call it, call it a problem, the problem lies within them because they don't understand themselves and they don't understand the implications of that for the way that they see other people. So what we're really trying to do here with the mental toughness concept is bring out into the open this quality that is just hidden. It's invisible. It's in our heads. We can't see it. We can see behavior. We can describe behavior. We can describe emotions. We have the greatest of difficulty of dealing with mental toughness because it's invisible. And so in creating the framework, the eight-factor framework, we've given people a language and an understanding of what's going on in their heads. We've also been very successful at developing a psychometric measure, the MTQ+, which is very effective at helping people to become self-aware and to understand the mental toughness and mental sensitivity in others. Like most psychometric measures, it needs to be handled properly and professionally, but it's beginning to give us the ability to understand ourselves better and understand other people better. Fantastic. Thank you both. And so w why is it important that we understand not only our own mental toughness, but also our colleagues as well? I think I think you've just touched upon that. But if you could uh, elaborate, that would be uh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, and I think there's, there's two elements because clearly in business, people are interested in efficiency, productivity, and, and that's fine. And understanding why things aren't working is, you know, the more tools, the more information you've got because people make assumptions, you know, why, why somebody's not delivering. They'll make guesses, you know, they're, they're lazy, they've got other things on their mind, but having something to base it on. And the other element is more and more important is, is well-being. So somebody who is really well suited to what they're doing and is, is managed appropriately and a, a leader who is comfortable in their own skin will probably have higher levels of well-being. That won't necessarily relate to yeah, better business outputs, but it's an end in itself more and more. You know, I'm an occupational psychologist by training, and in the 1980s, it was all about business efficiency. Now, um, well-being in itself is really important. So there's two elements running side by side. So understanding where you are, understanding where other people are, and helping people to achieve the full potential, both in their careers and in their wider well-being, is why it's important to understand. 
And I would add something, it's, it's to do with this phrase attitude. As I think I said before, when you go to speak to employers and ask them what is the secret ingredient of a great employee, the answer you nearly always get is attitude. And I won't name the organization, but I not so long ago worked with an organization that sold a major division. In fact, it was more than 50% of the business to its competitors. And one of the things they did before they let go of the division is they went through that organization and identified the people with a great attitude and transferred them into the bit that wasn't being sold. Because that's the one quality they value more than anything else. If you've got a great attitude, you will learn new skills, you'll apply your skills, you'll be highly responsive, you'll be resilient, you'll be positive. And I don't know of an organization that doesn't have resilience and positivity as two key components of its culture. So from an employer's perspective, this is what you're looking for. This is one of the things you're really looking for. But as I said before, it's invisible. You can't see it. From an employee's perspective, you're developing your career. You need to understand to, to a significant extent that this is what makes you valuable. And as Peter said, we, we're a mixture of, of these qualities. We are mentally tough and mentally sensitive. It doesn't matter that you're mentally sensitive it, up to a point. What matters is, do you understand your mental sensitivity and have you developed approaches that minimize any negative consequences of that? Employers will really appreciate that. They just want the most flexible employee that they can get. So from the employee's perspective, what matters is, can I offer employers this, this bundle of qualities that they desperately value? Fantastic. Thank you both. And, you know, looking at advice for our listeners, we know that some of our listeners find job interviews, you know, challenging. And that obviously links to, to confidence as well. How would you suggest someone approaches a job interview and, and uh, how can they make sure that they're, they're prepared for it mentally? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think, again, lots of scope, different people. So somebody who is mentally tough sees, sees a job interview, uh, uh, probably even a podcast, as a, as a way to put the information across. You know, great, I'm going to talk about myself for a bit. Other people see it as an opportunity to fail. So I come from a sports psychology background many years ago. And, yeah, it's, it's the what-ifs. People, people who are scared of interviews are really sensitive about interviews is what if it all goes wrong? What if they ask me a difficult question? What if I don't come across? What if my dress sense isn't right? And you just turn that on its head. You know, these are simple methods because we want a baseline of building mental toughness. But also in the short term, you can use mental toughness techniques to deal with these pinch points. So the, the quick switch is... Yeah, what people visualise is that the, the rejection email coming through or the letter coming through the door or hearing nothing. But it's the same mental energy to think, what am I going to do when the positive letter comes through? What am I going to Why should you? What if it goes wrong? It's just switching it to what if it goes right? What if every question yeah, I answer really effectively? And it's then bouncing out arrogance with, with, with positivity. So the, the other point is, yeah, you've got to do, pre there's no such thing as, yeah, you can, well, you can try and bluff, it doesn't work. So it's the hard work, it's the preparation, but it's recognising your own skills, recognising what you're not so good at, but thinking that it's, there's going to be a positive outcome. And I started off the work many, many, many years ago looking at goal kickers in rugby league. 
And how do they deal with the fact that they've got a goal, a kick in the last minute, they miss and the team lose? You know, why don't they go home and never play again? It's the same with good goalkeepers. And it's because they understand the percentages. They understand the difficulty. So if you're going for a really high-level job, yeah, you're a student, you're trying to do a postgraduate degree at Oxbridge, uh, and you get turned down, that, that's a very different phenomenon. So, yeah, if, it, if it's a job you should walk into, that's one element. But you'd be realistic about your chances. One of the things I think puts job seekers off is they're applying for things they have no chance of getting. And that's not a lack of positivity. They're just not suitable. They turn up to interviews when there's it, it just isn't going to work. So, yeah, are you suited? Do you have the skill set? Do you have a chance? But understanding your chance, yeah. Is it a 90% or 30%? Oh, it's very unlikely it would take me, but it wouldn't be great if to do. And just keep that keep that mental approach. And the, the final bit is, if you're halfway through a dialogue, answering a question, those inner talking to ourselves, which we all do, you've got to put a stop to reviewing your performance while you're doing it. You know, the classic, the worst I've seen is a job interview at a university. I was head of department, uh, and during the presentation the internal dialogue lead to the external dialogue and the guy was standing there saying, this isn't going very well. Oh dear, I've got this a bit wrong. And that's what people think, but you just shut it down. You just focus. You don't think, you stay in the moment. So, so that's the key. And mentally tough people can do that more naturally. Sensitive people can do that, but for a short period of time. And if you're a sensitive person, give yourself a big treat after. Not if you get the job or don't get the job. Yeah, 40 minutes, you can play being mentally tough, you can role play being mentally tough, but you need to unwind at the end. I think that's great advice. If you're that type of person, then obviously, yeah, treat yourself at, at, at the end. <laughs> that's fantastic. And, um, you know, I don't know anyone that has managed to get every job of every job interview that they've ever gone to. So, you know, it's inevitable that we're all going to face rejection at some point when we're looking for a new role. Again, I think you touched on it there, but how, how do you move on from that? How do you move on, pick yourself up, you know, to, to go at it again? Well, okay. So, you know, being rejected for a job and your interview hasn't gone well, I mean, that happens to us in many different aspects of life. So we've got to get used to the setback in some way. And part of it is putting it into perspective. You know, there was only one job, there were 100 applicants. I got to the last three, turning that into a measure of success. Right, I got close. Maybe next time I'll get a bit closer, that sort of thing. But the, the other thing is, what, one of the elements of the mental toughness concept that I described earlier, one of the factors, is something we call learning orientation. And that's where we, we understand that some people are better at reflecting and learning from their experiences. So if something's gone not right and I haven't got the job, first thing to do is to think about, well, what did I do? What could I have done better? Having been through an interview, I've got a better understanding of what they were looking for. How could I tweak my, uh, my CV? How can I tweak my interview approach in order to be more successful next time? We've got to be in that constant learning frame of mind. You know, we can't just start out with one approach and then keep throwing that at the situation and hope one day it sticks. It won't necessarily stick, but you'll, you'll just improve your chances 
of getting a, a job if you start learning from your experiences. And in a way, that is also a, a form of success. I'm learning something. I'm, I'm getting better at what I'm doing. And that can help to build a degree of confidence. So I would say that that's an important part of it. But there's another element that we sometimes forget that an interview is, all the textbooks say it's a two-way discussion. We sometimes forget, we think it's a one-way discussion. It's the employer grilling me for a job. It's also my opportunity to learn about the organisation and the different types of organisations that are out there. In my career, I have twice succeeded at getting jobs and regretted getting those jobs because I found out the companies, the culture in the organisations, they just didn't suit me. So also you need to you know, use the interview to learn about the organisation and learn about whether it would actually suit you. So you might be getting rejected because the employer understands you're not going to fit very well, but it would be nice if you also understood that. So I think there's a lot in, in these situations that people can use if they reflect on their experience and they extract the learning from it. Yeah, and I'd, I'd add in that, you know, it's it's legitimate. It's not not being mentally tough to be disappointed if you don't get a job you really want, to be really upset, but you just put a time limit on that. Yeah, you, you don't get it. It's upsetting. I, I get turned down for many, many, many jobs. So, that, yeah, you're frustrated. And our colleague, the co-author, Dr. John Perry, uh, talks about two chess tubes, one with resources, one with, with demands. And I think my, my ad, final advice on this is you don't use your resources you don't spend too thinly if you haven't got a chance of getting the job and you're a sensitive person don't apply don't go to the interview you know if you're a really mentally tough person you can live with rejection the chances of you getting it really really small but you give it a go and you'll learn from it other people it just wears them away so i often hear stories in the press of people applying for 200 jobs but the downside is you're going to get rejected far more than you're going to get accepted so yeah, a bit more targeted. Go in, and you know, I advise my students quite often. Sometimes you want a practice interview. You have, maybe you haven't got a good chance. It's a blue chip com company, but see what the rules are. See how it works, and that that's the terms you go into. But don't waste resource on a speculative shot. And if you want to go for it, go for it. Give yourself a, 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 and it's a sense of mourning and disappointment, but just then get back going. Great advice. Thanks, uh, Doug. Thanks, Peter. Uh, we, we're on to our last question now, and this is one that we ask all our podcast guests. If you had one piece of advice to, to help our listeners, you know, navigate their careers throughout the pandemic and, and beyond, what would that be? And, you know, if I can, can I get an answer from uh, both of you? Okay, so... I mean, Peter knows what I'm going to say. I'm going to leap in first because I'm pinching it from him. It's self-awareness. You know, this is an important quality. It's part of all of us and it affects virtually everything we do. But we have, we've got very low levels of self-awareness about our own mental toughness and the implications of our mental toughness and mental sensitivity for the way we engage with the world around us. So the first the most fundamental thing that we can do is create at least some le level of self-awareness. What is it that I'm bringing to a situation? What is it about me that might hinder my progress in a situation? And that then becomes a starting point for a lot of things, you know, for development, for the way you're going to present yourself to other people. But if you don't know who you are to start with, you're struggling. 
Yeah, and my bit is it would be when it comes to careers, is take the long term view. I mean, yeah, as you get older, you look back and you think. Hmm. So the short-term disappointments can sometimes dominate people. Yeah, I wanted to be first a rock star with a fine Leeds band. That didn't quite work out. Wanted to play professional sport. Be- yeah, became a psychology professor. So it's not, uh, yeah, it's, it's not glib about you know one door closes and other opens. But when you look back on your career, when you've got some mileage there, you, you see it works. There's, there's always another way forward. So you, you might you want to try it, but it's just when people put a hundred percent into that that's their only option. That that's problematic. And one another of our colleagues, Lee Cross at Lincoln University, looked at um football apprentices. And yeah, ninety-nine point nine percent of them get dropped. The ones who then go on to prosper and have interesting careers and do other things are the ones who always had a plan B, a plan C, and and it took some time to reevaluate. So you've got to give yourself other options as well. So take some time to recover, go 100% for it, but then think, what do I do now? Because most of us end up in places, in fact, nearly all of us end up in places where we didn't expect to be. Kind of, yeah, the same with the mental toughness research, same with my career, same with Doug's career. Yeah, it's great to be talking to everybody. We really enjoy this sort of stuff. But 30 years ago, we wouldn't have thought we'd be doing this. So it happens so it, it, it and it's I think in the term it, it's about it's a call not catastrophizing. Yeah. One terrible interview and you know I've had I've had a woman I fell off a chair. You're not gonna get the job, but it's not the end of your career, other things happen. So take a take a longer view, longer goals, short term disappointments, a short term disappointment, and you have to as Doug said, you have to deal with them. Some great, great advice to, to, to finish off a, uh, a fantastic interview. So thank you very much, Doug, and thank you very much, Peter. Um, it's been great having you on the podcast, and thanks for sharing your uh, valuable insights. And Doug, Peter, another thing just before we go, in case there's anybody that wants to reach out to you, is, is there any way that they can do that easily? There is. So the simplest way of making contact directly with me is Doug, D-O-U-G, at aqr.co.uk. And if people want to connect with me on LinkedIn, they're very welcome to do that too. Uh, We regularly post out updates on the work that we're doing on LinkedIn. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. And Peter, is there any way contacting you? Is it the uh, LinkedIn as well? I'm I'm, I'm a typical academic. I often don't know what day it is, but I know about mental toughness. So it's always best to go through AQR. Doug will direct people to me. I'm really happy to chat to people and answer questions, but disorganisation is my middle name, really. (laughs) Okay, so Jonathan, so if people want a general inquiry, head office at aqr.co.uk is an alternative address. That's perfect. Well, thank you again very much, both of you. Yeah, it's, it's been great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hayes Worldwide Careers Advice Podcast. If you have found this advice useful, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. At the same time, if you have any questions or suggestions for future podcast episodes, feel free to reach out to us via email at socialmedia at hayes.com.